0: we we'll read a verse from there. If I ever add any comments, it is not to take away or to think that i got more to say about a topic. But I'm sure that if you hear what I say when you walk out, you're thinking, this would have fit there. And that, and so you just can't say. We're just bits and pieces here and there. As God said, line upon line, precept upon precept. But if I had anything to say by way of addition, I would also ask the question, is he precious? Now, if if something is valuable to you, and it means everything, you're going to pursue after it. And one other word, warning, admonition that I'd like for you to consider is that all of us will face the hymn. I don't know if you sang or not. All voices blend together I can't distinguish can't distinguish any but we will face it. I want to continue and I'm not going to linger here other than this time, possibly one other time. But I do want to continue with our thought from the 139th Psalm where David is expressing his heart to God. He's not talking to anybody else. How precious are thy thoughts unto me. Just... Whether he's... Done on his knees. Walking out in the garden somewhere. In the palace. I don't know. I just know that everything around him was of no distraction. And he had risen to a great height there. To know the mind of God. For Christianity is at such a low don't We don't give any thought to God's thoughts. We're more concerned about what I think. Or what someone else thinks about me now I I stuck that little personal pronoun I and me in that but the only thing I'm concerned about what other folks think about me is if I got something wrong then I'm concerned about your thoughts towards me other than that Man's thoughts, they, they have no effect upon me. Well, anyway, Psalm 139, don't turn, don't turn back there, you know it. Whatever time this is, maybe the 4th, speak to you again briefly when we get down to it on thy thoughts are precious. Would you buy with me? I sat there this morning my heart was lifted to the one on the throne and that that he did and is doing for us precious I long for that time where Christ is exalted to the highest pinnacle that we can get him here in the church And that our minds and our hearts are caught up in Thee. We are not here to fulfill some religious obligation or command. We are here to learn Him. Worship Him, to love Him, to love one another, and to be the best servant possible to each other. Now, Father, as we come to Thy Word. our delight, herein is our life. Natural man does not have the ability to obtain thy thoughts, even though they are written with ink. Though we can read, Pronounce and know what that word means in our English language. That does not mean that we know the or your thoughts towards me. I can assume, but oftentimes that's very dangerous ground. So help us this day open our ears, our eyes, and our hearts, and do Thou speak unto us, O God. May You be honored in the remainder of this service, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Any serious-minded individual has a great interest in God's thoughts about me. That's why we pray, not all the time telling God this is the condition around me, this is the condition I'm in, this is the condition in my world. Not all the time telling God that which He already knows. Not all the time asking God, this it's right at times to ask God for various things in your life, but praying is more than that, it's listening also to know the mind of God towards me. That's why we search the Scriptures. I'm not interested in what the Baptists had to say about it. I have even a greater and more personal interest than what the old men, the great men of old, have said about it. I appreciate their writings, but I search the scriptures. Find out what are God's thoughts. I hope that you sit on the pew you on this day and are here most of the time trusting that the preacher is honest enough to tell you the truth. And that he has a greater interest in me than he does in himself. I hope that's why you sit on the pew. I hope that if you find that it is scriptural in what he sets before us, that you go home and you prove it from the book as to its accuracy or its truthfulness. All of you hear me now in this, there's a large number of folks in eternity that passed out through the a valley of death pass through it, depending upon the word of an individual. You're right. Don't do it. Don't do that. If I rest on the word of an individual, I rise no higher than that person. Make certain, no matter who it was, how much you think of them, how much you love them, make certain within your own heart, that that person told you the truth. For the last almost hundred years now, we've filled churches, church buildings, and possibly hell with a group of honest, sincere individuals. That we're told, if you believe this, you're all right. Well, the devil has a greater belief in the Word of God than even we do. Don't rest on my word or any other individual's words to you. That's as high as you get if you do. Now if one sets Christ before you, and I can get to his Savior and his Lord, I pass beyond the mentality of the individual who honestly and accurately set forth the Lord Jesus. If I can get beyond his words get all the way to the Christ that he preached, then I'm beyond what he believes and I'm beyond what he thinks. And I pass beyond his mentality into a realm. Realm above his mind, his heart. I passed into my own personal realm of peace and knowing the forgiveness of God in my soul for my transgression and knowing in my heart the love of God as revealed in now my Lord and my Savior simply because I got beyond the words of an individual they may have been right but I don't stop there I got to get all the way to God to begin finding out what God thinks. Now the same is also true with the written word. You just can't open the Bible and stick your finger down on the verse and say, that's mine. It might become yours. Moses wrote of the promise that God made to Adam and Eve. Thy seed shall bruise the head of the serpent. He wrote of the rites, the ceremonies, of the law of God and what God required of them. But the child of God, at conversion and hopefully many times after, is raised above the promise the head of the woman's seed, and that he did at Calvary, bruise the serpent's head. He'll take all his authority, all his power, because he's going to bruise that head when he dies. Child of God raised beyond all. Everything. From the first promise made to man to all that the ceremonial law required of Israel to perform. Based above all that, the all those pointed to the Lamb of God. The law, remember Jesus traveling with those two on the Emmaus Road? He spoke to him of things out of the law and out of the prophets and out of the Psalms concerning himself. That's what I go looking for in the scripture. Things concerning Christ. What you hold in your lap Just the bare, naked, mute, can't speak to you, letter of the Word of God. And that cannot be your resting place. It must have a voice. As I've told you many times, if all you hear this day is my voice, then you you do not benefit from being here today. But if in my voice you might in your soul hear the voice of God, then you will greatly benefit in responding to that voice. This... Letter cannot be your resting place. It's got to have a voice and it's got to have substance. Now, to our verse, and this, the letter of the law of God, Genesis through Malachi. Folk, it did not matter at the conclusion of the Old Testament that God had not spoken in 400 years. It did not matter to them. They had all the ceremonies of the law. They were faithful every Sabbath day. But that's as high as they got in this book. No higher. Now where I ask you to turn Romans four fourteen. For if they which are of the law be heirs, that's the extent, that's the height of anything that they obtain, it comes from the law of God. They get no higher. Cain got no higher Than the law of God. You gotta take a sacrifice. But the problem with Cain was that he believed that that which he labored would be more efficient and sufficient and more pleasing to God. Because after all, Cain in his mind was a very righteous fellow. By faith, Hebrews 11, Abel, Cain's brother, offered unto God a more acceptable sacrifice. First John 3, John writes, Of Cain, the wicked one. You can't find one thing ever mentioned up until... He killed Abel that he ever did wrong. The only reason that he killed Abel was that Abel's offering and righteousness condemned him and his offering. But here's where Cain got. The law, he was an heir of the law of God. He had a Bible. Well, he didn't have it as we have it, but he knew his dad, Adam, had taught those two. He knew it. If you get no higher than that, then faith is made void, and the promise made of none effect the Jews rested here they took a lamb God required they do that they sprinkled the blood God required the law of God required that they do that but they never got beyond the physical act and saw the Lamb of God in that act And their religion had become so adulterated by the time that Jesus came on the scene. They didn't have to worry about putting up a Paschal lamb, keeping it up 14 days. They didn't have to worry about that. They could just go up to the temple. Didn't matter if their heart was prepared, they'd just go to the temple. Didn't matter if they had sought God that morning. They went. If they went looking to, desiring to worship, none of that mattered. All that mattered to them was that they made it to the temple. They got up there and they buy a lamb. They had scripture to back up what they were doing, they thought. God said, if the distance where you have to travel to worship is too far, then you'll sell your your offering, and when you get there, then you'll buy one equal, without spot and without blemish. But they determined that, how far was too far for them to have to travel? So if they had to travel a tenth of a mile, that was too far for them. If they had to travel 500 steps, that was too far for them. To have to put up a lamb and keep it for this length of time, that was too much trouble for them. They'd not worry about any of this. They'd just get up there and they'd purchase what they needed. And Jesus took a whip two times, overturned the money changers tables, set free all the sacrificial animals, and drove them out of that temple. Saul of Tarsus had mastered the law of this book that his fathers had taught him, religion had taught him. He was educated under probably the greatest teacher that Israel had, especially in his day, Gamaliel. He thought that he was an heir of God because of the law of God. And all the while that Saul of Tarsus was crossing every T, dotting every I, and was outwardly faithful in everything he did, the one thing he didn't know from the law of God that he knew so well was the God of the book and the God of the law. He didn't know that. He didn't know God's thought or thoughts towards him. He had already determined this is what God thinks of me because I'm faithful to the religion of my fathers and they were right. He didn't know he was loved of God. He didn't know that he had always been loved of God. And this Jesus that he had heard about, he was an imposter. He was the illegitimate son of a fallen woman. He didn't know that. That's what he thought. And he didn't know Jesus Christ. He didn't know these things, neither does anybody else. Till they meet God. Let me tell you about the first encounter of your meeting God. It has nothing to do with God loves you. Nothing. No disciple, no apostle has ever ever introduced God to a sinner as a loving God. He didn't manifest himself as a loving father. First manifestation that a sinner ever has of God is he's sitting on the throne. He's holy. He dwells in a light which no man can approach. And in that light, that sinner's corruption, sinfulness, his, his, everything about him becomes an open book and becomes known to him like a doctor putting a drop of blood under a microscope and telling you this, you have this incurable disease. That's what your first encounter with God was. You are a sinner, you are guilty, you will die. You are without hope in this world. And then in repentance. True repentance. That's the beginning. That's the first step towards any further revelation of God to you as a loving God. That's the first. I've challenged you before. You haven't taken me up or you you weren't able to take me up find one sermon in all the book of Acts where they spoke about the love of God just one men and brethren what must we do to be saved repent repent Believe. that's the only message that any true servant of God can ever first say to your soul repent and believe but see you can't repent and you can't believe both are the gift of God gifts of God Now I begin to close out this topic of God's thoughts are precious unto me. I did Well, I did the first time we read in Psalm 139. Down below that, how great is the sum of all of them. He said, if I should count them, they're more than the sand of the sea. Now, if Adam had begun to count the sand of grains of sand of the sea, and he put them all over here in this location, and, and then his next son had, had taken up where Adam left, and they've been counting them for over 6,000 years. They still have not yet touched how many grains of sand are by the seashore. We've got 66 little books here in the one book. And if we have eyes to see, every chapter contains therein something of the thought or thoughts of God to you. And men have been searching this out from the very beginning of time. You say, they did not have a Bible. They've been searching out the mind of God. And the heart of God. How they found that out without a Bible? Well, it's not too hard for me to understand that now. In the beginning, I had a difficulty with it. I thought you needed your Bible. Now, it is my workbook. But it is not my God. Every chapter herein has something to say of God's thoughts toward the people. Now, you and I might have a lot, of, a lot of thoughts brought about walking down the streets of a large city. Brought about by sight which affects our heart or traveling down the highway one seriously injured. All on the sidewalk begging for a handout, the slain, all that's blind or mentally handicapped. We would gladly help them, but we don't have the power to cure their lameness, their blindness, their mentality. It's kind of a devastating thing to pass where there's been a major accident on the highway and seeing a dead body covered up. More than one ambulance there because more than one was injured. Sure, you are affected. You love your children supremely, you desire their salvation, hopefully a, an education, good. You desire that they might have a decent career, but you don't have the power to bring it about. You might finance them if they get through. If they get through high school, you might finance them in in further studies. But you don't know. You can't make them study. You can't make them earn a degree. You would if you could. But when it comes to God. God has the power to bring about every thought. Jesus traveling, he saw, he was moved. He said he saw the multitude, then he was moved with compassion, and he and he had the disciples to. Sit them down in groups of 50, and he took a few little loaves of bread and fish, and he fed thousands. Oh, because he had a heart, and that heart was moved with compassion, and because he had the ability to bring about the thoughts of his heart. You parents evidence you know, you're you not always saying, I love you son, I love you daughter, you're not always saying that, but you evidence the thoughts of your heart. You go to work and you don't feel like it. You deny yourself to provide for them. You provide discipline. The old saying's true, it hurts you more than them. They don't believe that because they have to start disciplining their own children. I always joked with the, with the boys who were a cut up. And I'd taken them in the hall. I said, Now, son, I'm not going to lie to you like your parents. This is going to hurt you a lot more than it does me. But it does hurt you to discipline them. But love demands it. And you evidence your love to them. You think God has thoughts of peace towards you? You think God loves you, and that He carefully watches over you every moment of every day, and that God will provide all your needs. You think God loves, God's talk towards you is peace, but He has not the power to make His heart known. You honestly believe God's that weak? that small, that he can't make his heart known to you, do you think there is the slightest possibility of a child of God passing out into eternity not knowing Jesus Christ loves me? You think that's possible? Don't bring up this, what about baby? When i talk talking I'm talking about, I'm talking about folk that have reached an age to begin to listen and hear and understand. Sure, God has power. Whether He ever does to do you or not, I don't know. Hopefully, He will. Acts chapter number 9, this and a couple of more. And you know this, Acts chapter number 9, beginning with verse 1, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord. you got to get rid of all these Christ-professing people. So he goes into the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth. He heard a voice saying to him, "Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me?" And he said, "Who art thou, Lord?" And the reply was, "I am Jesus." Now he wants to know, "What do you have me do?" God said, "You go down." Into the city, and you find this man. But that light was so great that it blinded him, and he had to have somebody lead him. Saul of Tarsus didn't know Jesus Christ loved him, he did not know that Jesus Christ was Lord. He did not know that Jesus Christ had the power and the heart that loved him before he ever met him. Now, folk, if you visit, if you've ever visited the tomb of the unknown soldier, and you've watched those and the changing of the guard there, you've seen that. There lies in that tomb a man unknown, a man unloved. You can't love that that you do not know. I'm sure that somewhere back there, the little... Pitter patting of the feet through the house delighted the mother's heart. I'm sure that that dad looked upon that little boy with the greatest of affections. And now nobody knows him. So Saul could not have known. What Jesus Christ knew of him. Another Galatians chapter 2. Galatians 2 20. I am crucified with Christ. That didn't happen that day on the Damascus Road. It began. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ live within me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith. I'm dead. Yet I'm living. I died, yet I'm alive. You're talking about contradictions. Well, you you find them all through the scriptures, that's all you use it for. I'm dead to the law, verse 19. But I'm living unto God. All he lived for, until he met Jesus, was unto the law. But all the while he was dead. Now he's dead to the law, living unto God. Crucified with Christ, crucified, yet I live. Yet it's not me that lives, but it's Christ living in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Who loved me had to be a day when that became evident. God's heart was manifest, and I'm going to close out, close out this. Oh, your books full of the thoughts of God. Not this morning, don't think. Close it out on God's thoughts manifested. Whatever God thinks of you, you'll find out. The children will find out in time. You have heard in devotion, the verse has been has been quoted and read several times, that of Jeremiah 31.3. I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Now listen to the next word, and that's been pointed out also. Therefore. Because my heart's always been on ye, everlasting love, therefore with loving kindness have I drawn thee. My love for my children has eternal value and weight. That's God speaking. It has an effect in time upon those God loves you say he loves all mankind won't argue with you on that point if he's concerned about a little sparrow falling surely he's concerned about creation but in the vast mass of humanity, there is a people that will find out in time that the love God has for them surpasses the love of His creation. But there are certain prerequisites before this revelation of God is manifested, before His heart is ever revealed to you. Don't think I'm adding works to this, that you got to do this and this and this to get God to manifest Himself. No. But it's similar to this. You do not make known your, your heart a rebellious child. If you do, you are agreeing that their sin is not wrong, and you just pat them on the head. You don't do it. You reveal your heart to them when they are behaving as they ought to, as your child. And that's God. And I'll close that. All that God loved in eternity, will find out about it in time. All of them. It is impossible that they not find that out due to God.